On the second Sunday in July, churches in the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention celebrate Special Needs Ministry Sunday. This annual event reminds us that everyone should have access to the gospel and to a church home, and that our church's mission should include removing barriers that keep families like mine from being able to attend church. We know that this mission reflects the plan God has for the church because we have a biblical model for inclusion. In Luke 14, the parable of the large banquet, Jesus spoke of a man who invited his neighbors and friends to his banquet, but they gave excuses about why they couldn't come. So the master said, bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. He sought out the outcasts, the people who at that time would not have been welcome at such an event. The servant replied in verse 22, Master, what you ordered has been done and still there is room. Churches, this is still true today. When we follow this biblical model of inclusion, when we open the doors to the one in five families in the U.S. who have a member with a disability, we find out there's room for everyone. There's room for my sister with Down syndrome. There's room for my son with autism. There's room for our friends with dementia, dyslexia, depression, and any other diagnosis that makes it harder to get a seat at the banquet table. But when we make that room, when we take steps and make our churches accessible and welcoming, it benefits all of us. Special Needs Ministry Sunday is a time to celebrate those who for too long have been forgotten or neglected. As pro-life churches who see the beauty of everyone made in the image of God, we honor them and we remind ourselves that a church is incomplete without the gifts and blessings that people with disabilities bring. Thank you for making the gospel accessible to all people at your church and community and pray with me on this Special Needs Ministry Sunday for a harvest of even more. Uh, proud husband moment right there, right? Just appreciate my wife and just all her work she's doing with the Southern Baptist Convention of Texas and, and her efforts and work to really start this day uh, that is statewide. And what we are encouraging are the uh, Southern Baptist Convention of Texas churches all throughout our state is to set aside a, a Sunday a year uh, and being the second Sunday of July and spotlight special needs ministries and why we need to do what we need to do in our churches, reaching those that sometimes do not have homes within a church. You know, uh, right now, according to the last census, is one in five Americans have a diagnosed disability. And so just let that sink in for a moment. Over 25% of our population, according to the last census, is, has a disability. But yet, research shows us that a family with someone with autism is eight times less likely to attend church than a typical family. 
And one of those reasons is, is because sometimes we don't know families like mine if we would be welcome within a church. And so I want to say, not only as your pastor, but as a uh, father of a son with disability, thank you for serving our families so well. We greatly appreciate it because I know when we come on a Sunday morning uh, that our families will be taken care of and loved, and you guys make that happen. So thank you so, so much for that. So let's open it a word of prayer as we get ready uh, this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you uh, for how you have created every person in your own image. And Lord, we know because every person is an image bearer that every person deserves to hear the love of, of Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for heights and the people that make up this church that have stepped out in faith over four years now and has started this ministry, and we pray for its continual growth and impact, not only in our local community, but around the state. And so, Father, we pray for churches today that are, are here within Texas, within our Southern Baptist Convention, that they will step up to the plate and serve more and more families like mine, so the gospel will go out and the kingdom of God will be built. Father, I pray this morning for the sick, we pray for their healing Father, I pray for those that are discouraged this morning. They will find encouragement. Father, I pray this morning for those that are, are, are having some faith crisis today, that you will strengthen their faith in Jesus. Father, I pray today that you will humble the proud and you will exalt the humble. And Father, we thank you that as we open your word today, that the Holy Spirit will work through the preaching of your word. And I pray for our church and these people that you will speak to us today because you are a God who is worthy to be listened to. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you today, whether that is electronically or whether that is a paper Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up to Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. We're going to take a break from 1 Corinthians for a week, and uh, we'll be back in 1 Corinthians 7. But this morning, Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be for this special needs ministry Sunday because we want to look at really and ask the question, whose kingdom are we building? Whose kingdom are we building? Are we as a church about building the kingdom of God or about just building our own kingdom here at Heights? Are we about just making our church bigger or are we making the kingdom bigger? And let me ask you this question on a more personal level. Whose kingdom are you building? Are you building the kingdom of God yourself or are you about just building your own kingdom? Having a relationship with God that centers really around you, your wants, your needs, your prayer requests, or are you committing your life to Jesus Christ to say, God, I'm going to do what you call me to do in order to build your kingdom. See, before Jesus ascended to heaven, where he is sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, waiting for God the Father to tell God the Son to come back to this earth to rule and reign from the throne of David, to set up his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth, and to have that perfect kingdom all throughout eternity. That's where Jesus is right now, waiting to come again. And I don't know about you, but my calendar's free tomorrow. Anybody? Like, I'm good if that's tomorrow, right? 
But he's waiting. But before he left, so pro, you know, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, before he ascended to the Father, he said these words to the disciples. Go into the world. Make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you in my word. It's what we call the Great Commission. And that is a commission that Jesus gave the disciples back then that is still the current commission for us today. It's been the commission throughout the church throughout all of time. We express that commission here at Heights this way where we say we desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. That's essentially what we're about. We want to take that commission Jesus gave us of making disciples. We want to love people, and we want to lead them to that new life that Jesus gives them. But in order to do that, we have to be focused on God's kingdom where we say we are going to be kingdom builders. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus is going to tell you a story about a man who threw a party. And at this party, I think it represents the kingdom. And what you're going to see is who is invited to this party and who really shows up. But what I need you to do today is decide what kind of kingdom are you going to build? God's kingdom or your own kingdom? Because I want you to see first within the text that kingdom builders invite the uninvited. Kingdom builders invite the uninvited. We pick up in verse 12. And Jesus said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, And you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus does something when he often tells a story, and he does it here. Essentially, he gives you the punchline before he tells the story. And in verses 12 through 14, he gave you the punchline. He said that kingdom builders practice radical generosity and that they often reach out to those that no one is reaching out to. That kingdom builders help practice radical generosity. They reach out to the physically disabled, the mentally disabled, those that are struggling with special needs within their lives, and they help the poor, they help the blind, they help the lame and the crippled. These are who kingdom builders are. So he says something in verse 12, though, that doesn't really make sense at first glance. Look at what it says. He says, essentially, guys, when you throw a party, stop inviting people that will just invite you back. You know, stop inviting your relatives and your friends. Now, what Jesus does there is essentially he gives you a statement of hyperbole. So uh, he's saying, I'm not saying don't ever invite your mother over, you know, or or your kids over. Don't invite your in-laws over. My in-laws are sitting over here to my right, so I'll be careful with that statement, right? Yeah. So he's like, don't invite, and you know, he's not saying don't ever invite anybody over that's a friend. Instead, what he's saying is stop inviting people who are just going to turn around and repay you back. Some of you are going to get this illustration because you've worked in the corporate world long enough uh, or you've been in sales where you know that business deals are often not done in a boardroom. Business deals are not often done over the phone. That business deals are done on the golf course or sitting down at dinner. So this party that Jesus shows up to is essentially that. It's a networking event. 
It's a who's who of the community there at the party. It's going to be your rich, your powerful, your prosperous people. And they would often use these parties as essentially that, closing business deals, making sales, networking. And Jesus says instead, no, though, wait. When you have a party such as that, invite the cripple, he says in verse 13, the lame and the blind. And notice when you do that, when you focus on inviting the uninvited, verse 14 says you will be blessed. Do you want to be blessed today by God? This is what God says blessing looks like. You will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, when it comes to special needs ministries in churches, um, I have had this said to me by many pastors, too many that I would want to count. I've had this said to me by many church members over the years in churches I have served, too many that I would want to count. But when it comes to the point where you say, we need a special needs ministry within our church, like the stats I just gave you earlier, families that have someone with autism in them are eight times less likely to attend a worship service than a family, a typical family. One in five Americans have a disability. And when I talk about this, and Sandra talks about this sometimes with churches and church members and pastors, we will get this as a response. Why would we want to reach out to people with special needs? They're not going to add any value to our church. I've had that said to me by pastors, by Christians. Why would we want them in our church? They're not going to be tithers. They're not going to be servants. They're not going to serve in ministries. They'll end up just draining our resources. They will take our resources and our volunteers. Why would we want to do that as a church? Let me tell you about Mary. Mary came to our church one Sunday. We had been in our church in Pennsylvania for about three years. Special needs ministry there was about two to three years old. Mary came one Sunday morning, and she brought her two kids uh, within to the worship service. And there, those two elementary age kids sat, and, and uh, we learned later that one of, the, one of them had autism, the young man did. But on that Sunday morning, those two kiddos were a little noisy, to say the least. Now, understand this. I love kids in the worship center. I, I love them. I do not mind us having children in the worship center because I believe that every kid needs to hear the Word of God, and no matter how old they are, they're soaking in something, right? And so whether you are eight or whether you are 80, you make noise. And sometimes you can be distracting, right? You've sat beside the person who has dug for the mint at the bottom of their purse. Have you not? And you're like, is that thing the Grand Canyon? How much stuff do you have in that purse? Because it's like a 10-minute dive into there. It's an ex I mean, it's a full-flown, you know, full-fledged archaeology event of excavating this mint. Then they find the mint, and it's another 10 minutes of unraveling the hard piece of candy. So again, whether you are 8 or 80, we all make noise, and that's fine. But these guys were a little loud that morning. And, and what I have learned, I was a high school history teacher for almost 10 years. I've been pastor for almost 17 years now. I can pretty much talk through just about anything, okay? First rule in preaching class, they tell you, is just keep talking. 
When you're on the stage, just keep talking. Don't stop. If you lose your place in the sermon, just start talking about Jesus because you should know Jesus and you should talk about death, burial, and resurrection. So at any point in a message, I randomly pivot to the cross. You now know I probably lost my place. And eventually I'll get my place back once I talk about Jesus enough. But, you know, we made it through the service. Monday morning comes. I get a phone call. It's Mary. And, you know, hey, Mary, how are you? And she says, I want to join your church. I'm like, well, uh, okay. Um, like, you, you came once. <laughs> you know, like, I really don't know you. You don't really know us. Like, why, why would you want to join a church just by coming one, one time? And she said, well, you heard my kids yesterday, right? It's like, um, yeah, we did. Uh-huh. Sure, I, I heard them. And she's like, you know, they were a little loud. And I was like, hey, Mary, don't worry about that. Like, that, that's totally fine. Like, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother us as a church. And she said, well, my son has autism. I said, oh, okay. And I said, well, you know, we, we've got a son with autism as well. And she said, as they were making noise, I was just horrified that it was going to happen again. I said, what was going to happen again? She said, we have been to church after church after church, and they've asked us to leave. Ask us to leave because he made some noise or they didn't know what to do with them. Let that sink in. They ask us to leave. She said, so as they were making noise at the end of the service, I was just thinking, oh no, here it comes again. And church member after church member just came up to me and said, it's okay. It's fine. We've all been there. You're okay here. It's all right. Don't worry about it. She said, I want to be a part of a church like that. You know, what's interesting about that story is two months later, Mary gave her life to Jesus Christ and we baptized her. You know why? Because church members just like you embraced a family that was a little different and said, it's okay. You're all right here. You know, what else is incredible about that story to me is Mary's husband was an atheist, wanted nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with me, wanted nothing to do with church. Before we left Pennsylvania to transition here to Texas, about three years later, do you know who was sitting out on a Sunday morning in that worship service often? Mary's husband. Now, to my knowledge, he's not become a believer in Jesus Christ yet, but you know what happened is an atheist who was dead set against God and the church started showing up on a Sunday morning because people loved Mary's family. See, yes, people with disabilities and special needs in our midst, sometimes they will not be tithers. They will not serve in a ministry. But you know what they do is they teach. They teach us. And we have phenomenal life group teachers here. From all of our kids to our adults, we have great life group teachers. But you know who some of the finest life group teachers are on a Sunday morning? It's the people with disabilities in our midst. Why? Because they're teaching us about grace. They're teaching us about sacrifice. They're teaching us about unconditional love. They are teaching us that they are made in God's image and they belong in the house of God. Kingdom people invite the uninvited. But notice also kingdom people stay focused on the mission. As Jesus has landed those uh, sayings there in verses 12 through 14, we see kingdom people stay focused on the mission. 
Because right after Jesus says, listen, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Notice this guy at the table in verse 15 says when he was reclined at the table with him, this guy speaks up and says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So essentially this Yahoo speaks up after what Jesus just says and says, Jesus, look around the room. This is who's in the kingdom. It's the rich, it's the powerful, it's the prosperous, it's the important. Surely, Jesus, when you look around the room, we would be the people in the kingdom of God, right? And Jesus begins to tell this story. And he starts out the story in verse 16. And he says, there was a man that once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to say to those who've been invited, come, for now everything is ready. And essentially what happens back then that happens now is sometimes you send out two invitations to a party. It's a, hey, save the date. And then, oh yeah, hey, the party's today. And so you would have people that would come from out of town. You obviously have food to prepare. You have arrangements to make. So verse 16, save the date. Verse 17, the party's now. All right, it's, it's party time. It's banquet time. The day has arrived. The second invitation's gone out. But then notice excuses begin. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. There's excuse number one. Okay, I bought a piece of property. I don't know what the piece of property looks like. I need to go see the property I just bought. So the person's saying. No, essentially what you just did is you bought dirt, and it's still going to be dirt like a week later. You can wait a week, come to the party. All right? Second excuse is this. Verse 19, I bought five oxen, and I need to go out and examine them. Please have me excused. This is a major purchase of the day and time. Because about one price of an ox was about half the salary of a normal person. So this is a pretty big, you know, thing. I just bought five. Modern day translation. I just bought a car on the internet. I don't know what kind I bought. I don't know how much I paid. I don't know what color it is. Now I need to go to the dealership and see what car I just bought. Right? That's what the person's saying. Verse 20, third excuse. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <sighs> You guys just laughed at that. I don't need to insert my own joke there. <laughs> hey, Jesus, we're on my honeymoon. We can't show up, right? We're, we're honeymooning. Now, I don't know about you, and I told this to first service. When we first got married, we rarely had two nickels to rub together. If it's a free meal, we're there, right? I mean, you offer me a free meal now, I'm there, you know? I mean, there's times people invite me out and they're like, hey, you want to get some, you know, lunch? Where do you like to eat? Anywhere. <laughs> it's food. And if you're paying, great. I'll go wherever you want to go. I'll find something on the menu. I like food and don't discriminate against it, right? And so you notice these excuses. And essentially what these excuses show you in verses 18, 19, and 20 is this. Jesus... I need to put something ahead of you. There's something going on in my everyday life that right now needs to take precedent over you. But Jesus follows up this story with another lesson. In verses 25 through 32, Jesus says this, that whoever wants to be my disciple has to count the cost first. 
And he gives you an illustration in verses 25 through 33, essentially saying this, if you are about to build a tower today, a building today, a barn in your backyard today, you're going to sit out and count the cost. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, count the cost. You can't be a follower of Jesus and think you can just put everyday life ahead of him. Jesus takes a backseat to no one. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when you come to faith in Jesus, it's not adding Jesus into your life. It's surrendering your life to Christ. It's saying, it's not about my kingdom anymore. It's about your kingdom, Jesus. I'm following you. You're my king. I'm building your kingdom. But the problem we have is we have a lot of Christians running around right now who think, well, I'll just put weekend sports ahead of Jesus. I'll put politics ahead of Jesus. I'll put my comforts ahead of Jesus. I'll put my traditions ahead of Jesus. And they're trying to insert something ahead of Jesus, and it doesn't work. That's not biblical Christianity. Because notice what Jesus says in verse 33. He says, therefore, if any of you does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. The call into the kingdom is to come into the kingdom and worship the king, to follow the king Jesus as the priority and passion of your life, to build his kingdom, not your kingdom. Now, when you try to build your own kingdom, notice what he says in verses 34 through 35. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall the saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. What Christ is saying there is as a church, as Christians, if we are inserting anything ahead of Jesus, it's about our kingdom, not his kingdom. We're useless. We have no effect on the culture around us anymore because we've inserted a false idol and a false king in front of the king. That's why at the end of our story, Jesus says in verse 21, that the master of the house became angry when he heard of these excuses. He told the servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, go out of the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. That then my house may be filled. For I tell you, verse 24... No one of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. They missed being with the king in the kingdom at the banquet because they ignored the call. This morning, you see in the Bible a God who calls. A God who is always calling. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach the gospel. God called a woman by the name of Deborah to be a judge of Israel, to stand up for God's truth in a time, in a period, in a culture that was rejecting God's truth and doing what was right in their own eyes. God called teenagers who were disciples 
to be followers of Jesus. God called a man by the name of Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, to go be a pastor and a preacher and a missionary. God is a calling God. He is calling you today to build his kingdom. He's calling you into his kingdom. Maybe today for salvation for some of you, for you to say, I need to come to this King Jesus and be saved. He's a calling God, asking you, calling you to participate in what he is doing. But whose kingdom are you building? Are you building your own kingdom or his kingdom? Let me outline with you for a moment several steps that I believe God is calling us as a church to take in order to continue to build the kingdom of God, especially in the areas of special needs ministry. Here's what we have been praying about and talking about as a staff and and within our leadership, that there are some things we need to do as a church in order to continue to grow and take those next steps in our special needs ministry. Number one, there is a call for more space. Currently, what we do in our special needs ministry, if you're new with us here, is we have essentially what we would call a hybrid system. So when a a family comes with a child or a teenager or a young adult with special needs, is we first have rooms uh, that are called sensory rooms. They're self-contained rooms where folks like my son need to be in that room because they're not able to function well in typical space in a typical classroom. That allows us in those sensory rooms to serve those kids well, to make the modifications we need to make for those children and young people to help them learn at their level that God loves them, that Jesus died for them. And so sometimes for their safety or safety of others, we need some specialized space for some of those with disabilities. That's one part of our model. The second part of our model is an inclusion model where we do a buddy system. Okay, so then that maybe means that one of our our young people has some special needs, but they can go into a typical classroom, but they need a buddy. They need an aide. They need somebody to be able to sit there with them and help them that morning, maybe make some modifications with the lesson that they, again, can now learn at the level they need to learn at, that God loves them, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them. And so we have that happening. But what's happening right now, because COVID has shifted a few things, like COVID shifted everything in our world, right, is now we need some more space. Because some of the kiddos in those typical classrooms, they keep growing physically. One of them's mine. Like the kid keeps like, if you've seen James, he's like this and this and this, you know. And he keeps eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. Like on Sunday mornings, you'll, you'll probably see us from time to time. We go to Little Caesars every Sunday afternoon after church because James likes Little Caesars every Sunday. Well, he calls it orange pizza. You know why he calls it orange pizza? It comes in an orange box. Right? So we will get a pepperoni, orange pizza. It's 541, by the way, if that's the only thing you get, because there again, we go there every Sunday. So if you just show up on... You're going to get one pizza from Little Caesars in Alvin, it's 541, all right? So we show, I mean, literally sometimes we just pull up and the guy at the window is like 541. Like, thank you, there you go, there you go, transaction made. The dude will eat the whole pizza in one day. So some of these kids, they just keep growing. So we need some space. So what we're proposing is that we renovate building A. 
Now, Building A, for many of you that are new, was the first building here on our campus. It's near the backside of our campus that way. And that was the first building in which one of the the church met here many, many years ago. It was the first worship center for many of you that worshiped in there. And I think we need to just stop calling it Building A and transition into what we need to call it the Legacy Center, because that's where the legacy of our church started, and we need to continue it on. But what we need to do in building A is to widen some hallways in order to make them ADA acceptable. We need to remodel some bathrooms and able, again, to make them ADA compliant. We need to paint some walls. We need to get some new lights on. But what will happen in building A when we do that is it'll make it multi-purpose for us to, in order to have adult life groups that are still meeting in there, but to start, and this is the exciting part to me, start a new class for junior high, high school, and young adult special needs students. And that's the exciting part of where we are in our ministry. Because we need to transition some of those kids that are on our preschool hall in a new space to free up room in that preschool hall for some of our younger ones. It's no longer safe to continue to put kids like mine, the teenagers, down a preschool hallway. They need their own space in that. And so by remodeling Building A, our new legacy center, that will allow that room to start and to grow. And right now, if we started that today, we could have four students, junior high, high school, and young adult, already ready for that space. So that means as a church right now, we're not doing as well as we can for four with special needs. So I'm going to ask you ahead of time to be praying about that. We're making the plans. We're getting prices. We're going to come to you in August with those. I'm going to ask you to go on and pray and to say yes and to support that step that I believe God is calling us to take. Second, I believe today that God's calling some of you to serve in special needs ministry. As I issued that challenge, we had a lady at the end of our first service come at the end of the service and said, I want to help. On a regular, typical Sunday morning when we are at full capacity in both hours and predicting future growth, we need seven people on a Sunday morning to serve in our special needs ministries, whether that is buddies or those are in those sensory rooms as an assistant teacher. Currently, we have two. Okay? We need seven. We have two. One of them is about to go back to Chicago Because Elena is about to finish at the end of the month her special needs internship with us this summer. And Elena has done a wonderful job in our children's programming and special needs ministry. We would love to keep Elena, but you know, she's got a family she's got to go back to. She's got a college she's got to go back to. She's got a church she's got to go back to and start up there. And so then that's going to put us at one. We need seven when we're at full capacity and with predicted growth. And so teenagers, this is something you can do in helping out as a buddy. Any of you can buddy. Any of you can help in those sensory rooms. Now, I know some of you are already thinking, nope, because I don't know what to do. I'm not trained in this. I don't have a degree in this. Here's what I need you to do. Love God, love people. I know a really spectacular lady who will train you, all right? My wife will get you ready. And it's not as hard as what you're going to make it out to be. You can do this. I need you to answer that call this morning. Third, I want you to answer the call to share the gospel with others. As kingdom builders, we are to invite the uninvited, stay focused on mission. That means this, God is calling all of us as followers of Jesus to share the gospel. Answer that call. Maybe that is in inviting someone to a worship center or a service. Maybe that's sharing the gospel with somebody. You know, I love when you guys text me, you call me, you email me, 
and say, hey, I got a chance to talk to this person about Jesus today. I got a chance to invite this person. That happened yesterday. A family texted me and said, look, we were just down at Chick-fil-A for lunch. We were praying at our table. That struck up a conversation with somebody next to us. I got a chance to invite them to Heights, and here's their names. Would you pray for them? Man, that's awesome. Be that kind of person that even in Chick-fil-A, you're taking the time to invite somebody to come and to hear the gospel. So I want you this morning to answer that call. Finally today, maybe for some of you, it's a call to salvation. I want you to see verse 24 again. Jesus tells you, for I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. They were people who made excuses. I'm going to put this everyday thing ahead of Jesus. They missed the banquet. They missed the party. They missed being with Jesus. For some of you today, you are trying to build your own kingdom in your life, and it will collapse one day under the weight of your sin and God's judgment. Your kingdom will fail. His kingdom will live. Come into his kingdom. Come to Jesus today and find out that he is a good king, that he is a good king who will forgive you of your sin. He's a good king who says, you will be with me forever in all of eternity. So today, you know, leave your construction plans behind. Turn away from those, repent of those, and come to Jesus and say, I want to come into your kingdom. I want to be a part of what you're doing, Jesus. I want to invite you to pray this morning right with you where you are. So if you'll bow your head and close your eyes. I want to thank you for watching today's message. Right now, I want to encourage you to do something. You know, when we hear the Word of God, the Bible calls us to make a decision. And really, that comes from Jesus. All throughout the New Testament, Jesus is saying, come and follow me. If you think about all the decisions that you've had to make in your life, some were small decisions, some were big decisions, some were not really important, and some were very important. But the decision of what you're going to do with Jesus Christ in your life is the most important decision that you're ever going to make. See, really, there's only two options. You can walk with Jesus or you could walk away from Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now to walk with Jesus. And the way that you have a relationship with Jesus is you place your faith in Him. You place your trust in Him. And what you're doing by placing your faith and trust in Jesus is you're saying, Jesus, I I know I have sin." I know I have sin in my life that separates me from God, and I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to trust that you can bring me to God. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 21 that Jesus knew no sin, but he was made to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what that means is this, that when Jesus died on the cross, God put all our sin on him. And that when you trust by faith in Jesus, he gets your sin and you get his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. You give him your sin and he gives you his righteousness. That means you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all the sins that you've ever done and that you're forgiven of all the sins you ever will do. And the Bible says that when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, that God forgives you of your sin and he forgives you of of the power of sin in your life right now, that when you die, that God will take you to heaven to be with him for all of eternity. And so if you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you to do that right now where you are. 
and you simply can pray along with me. Just bow your head and close your eyes. And you can say, Dear God, I know I have sinned. And today I'm ready to trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you, God, for saving me. Now, friend, if you've prayed that with us today, I want to encourage you to let us know. You can go to heightschurch.org connect or simply open the camera app uh, on your phone and put it right over this QR code, and that's going to take you to that website. There you can let us know that you prayed to receive Jesus as your Savior. What we'd love to do is celebrate that with you, pray for you, come alongside of you and help you take your next steps of faith. And so I want to thank you for watching today's message. I want to encourage you, if you're able to make it out, we'd love to see you in person here at Heights on Sunday mornings at 9 or 10.30 a.m. Or you can catch us online at 9 and 10.30 a.m. live on Sunday mornings on our Heights Facebook page, our Heights YouTube page. So again, until next time, God bless and have a great week.